Welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Be sure to check out The Contrarians on iTunes, where you can rate, review, and subscribe. We're also on SoundCloud, and don't forget about our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Be sure to keep up with the pretentious ramblings of Alex and Julio on Twitter, at JamesAlexMattis and at Ovnio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Time for the podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Welcome to 2016, Julio. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I am uh, renewed. You know, took a little break, and now I've, I've got some sleep. Watched some movies that we're not going to talk about because <laughs> <laughs> they're they're not uh, within the scope of our our selection. So this will probably be end of February of 2016. So this won't be our first episode of the year, but this is our first recording session of 2016. Yes, so. it's also our 25th episode, which is you know kind of like a special anniversary on its own. That uh, is. If you ever uh, collect the comics during the 90s, the 25th issue was always like the one with the special cover that was all shiny and embossed and whatnot. Exactly. Yeah. Nice. So this is the one where like our microphones are like silver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we I guess we could say this is a special movie that we chose for this. Uh, it absolutely is, because it's the only one we've done, we've tackled, that's at 100% on the illustrious Rotten Tomatoes The nerve tomato of meter. this movie to be at 100%, like it's this perfect little thing. Yeah, it's quite ridiculous. Um, it is Modern Times, starring Charlie Chaplin, uh, sometimes regarded as his greatest film, which, you know... This is the best you have to offer. I'm not really looking forward to the rest of his vault. It's not even in color. You know, all you can find on, on Red Tomatoes is praise for this movie. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'll start with with a lot of praise here, and then on the second half we'll do like lesser praise. <laughs> but it's still fully fresh tomato there. Uh, so we start with Josh Larson from Larson on Film, who says. An enduring masterpiece that grows more relevant with each passing day. I think that's what they said. Uh, didn't we read a quote that was like that uh, about Dave? Mm-hmm. There was somebody that was mm-hmm. like, it's as relevant now as it was in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and smoking aces. And smoking <laughs> I think that's just something that critics like to trot out. Uh, Christopher Smith from Bangor Daily News in Maine uh, says, a great movie, a funny movie, an important movie. A sentence fragment. <laughs> yes. Mark Bourne from DVDJournal.com says, what we have is not just a story about a funny little man, but a morality fable or cautionary tale about people on the Chuck Hold road to the American dream. What does Chuck Hold mean? At first I read it and I thought it was cuckold dream. I was like, oh, well, you read a lot into that movie. <laughs> um, John G. Puccio from Movie Metropolis says, if the world is trying to suppress the little man, what better figure to rally against it than the ultimate little man, Chaplin's Little Tramp? Finally, Roger Ebert from the Chicago Sun-Times. One of the many remarkable things about Charlie Chaplin is that his films continue to hold up to attract and delight audiences. Is that true, Alex? I don't think so, because we're watching this, um, what, 80 years almost to the day of its release, and um, I was bored. I Yeah, I was, I was having trouble. Thank God for pizza. <laughs> exactly. Luckily, we had pizza, and... That that kept me from just falling asleep. It, yeah, it's um it's straightforward. You know that you get it right away. What the 
time frame is. It's the Great Depression. It's black and white, which just had me depressed. There's no dialogue. I, I mean, they colorized Casablanca. Why couldn't if you love Chaplin so much, why not give him the gift of color? It's not like we don't have the technology at this point. For that matter, it doesn't need to be silent anymore. Mm-mm. I just I just hate the fact that we revere these artifacts from the ancient past. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's like somebody that still listens to vinyl. I'm like, yeah, you know what? You're just you're just posing at this point. Technology has caught up. Forget about 70 millimeter. Watch shit in digital. It this is just you need to get with the times. It's it, the worst part is that the movie's called Modern Times. <laughs> It is just like traveling back to the Stone Age when, you, like, the movie experience is, is just terrible. So, I you could call Avatar modern times and get away with it. I think right now, but mm-hmm. it's like I fully expect when you know. And then you're going to call Avatar two modern times and then Avatar three, right? And then, but then when you do the re-release of Avatar a hundred years from now, when James Cameron comes out from hibernation to just like do the re-release, I fully expect him to just jazz it up with the new technology, you mm-hmm. know. And then because that's what Cameron like would he did do. with Titanic. Right, you know, you need the 3D. In that case, it'll be like the 5D. You'll be like fully immersed in virtual reality and Avatar. The avatars will poke you with their sticks. Yeah, I'm not asking to give me, you know, for for the studios to re-release Modern Times in 3D, Mm -hmm. but but let's be honest. I mean, Charlie Chaplin is no Sam Worthington. Well, no, I mean he can he can barely hold the screen here. I mean, I understand that. it, it, there is this thing, you know, you don't want to create a, a scandal. You don't want – there was like so many people upset when, when people were messing with Casablanca and every time that they want to mess with classic movies. But it's necessary, you know. And at this point, maybe Chaplin could hold people's attention back then when he didn't have the competition that he has now. Mm-hmm. So in a world where you have Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence every year with a new holiday movie, you need to – you can't just have this little man with his funny hat and his funny walk just not even talking and, and mm-hmm. pretend that that's a movie. That's not a movie anymore. So uh, that's just like – that's my opening rant for how this movie just – it was painful to sit through. Well, you know, he doesn't even have a name. His <laughs> his character is Factory Worker. Yeah, that's – and even like I guess it's like the little tramp playing the factory worker at this point. It's just, uh, but that that it's goes like being for John Malkovich type stuff. There, I mean, we don't even know. Uh, I'm sure we'll get more into like how this this movie deals with women, but it's. Uh, I mean, she doesn't have a name. Mm-mm. We never settled on how to pronounce it, but we're gonna go with your pronunciation. How do you call her? The Gaiman. Is it Gaiman? That's what I said, and you said no, it's Gammon. Oh, Gammon. All right. <laughs> well, well, let's settle on one. <laughs> Well, her name is Ellen Peterson, but right, that's but not revealed at any point in the movie. You wouldn't know that. If, uh, they say the the gammon is the waterfront child who refuses to go hungry. Yes, the wild child. But no, we don't open with the wild child. We no, we open with the factory worker, um, and that's basically it. He's on the assembly line at a factory. You know, he's overworked, underpaid, and he's quite frankly bullied quite heavily by his coworkers. <laughs> at the same time, I I don't blame them because he might be bullied, but also he's just like the worst. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I was that guy's boss, I would just be so annoyed that I have to write him up ten times before he's I. He's such fire a him. liability. He's a liability. He's clumsy. He's lazy. He just he he fucks everything up every time. He he keeps. It's like he doesn't. The the very basic idea of a conveyor belt. It just doesn't seem to like enter his brain. He just mm-hmm. doesn't get that every time he doesn't do what he's supposed to do. You know, the conveyor belt is not going to wait for him, and it just keeps rolling. And it's I guess that's supposed to be comedic. You know, the fact that he keeps having to, like, run after the stuff that he's missing and the uh, yeah. conveyor belt. But, uh, yeah, it's not I, – I think that 
as I was watching this movie and you see like all the little pratfalls and the things that the Chaplin character gets into, he just reminded me of a. He's he's just like when you grow up and you realize the Bugs Bunny is not funny anymore. <laughs> he's just an asshole. That that was kind of like I was watching this and I was like, this guy is just annoying as hell, and and he's just not funny. Like if you're an adult, mm-hmm. that guy just drives you crazy, mm-hmm. and that's what he does here with all his coworkers, with his bosses. Like you say, he's a liability. And Charlie Day, he is not. Oh no no no! I mean, Charlie Day can talk for one. So basically, it's a day on the job, and it shows the boss's office. And a team of businessmen come in and basically propose this new feeding machine that will streamline efficiency on the line. The idea being that it can just automatically feed the employees while they work. And who better to test it out on than the small, measly, totally harmless factory worker, Charlie Chaplin. But wouldn't you know it, there's problems in the system and it's just a wild mishap. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's the first, I think it's the first set piece in the movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's... Uh, you have to say this uh, about Chaplin. I mean, I guess he knew his audience back then. But he just loves to milk a joke to death. There is, in in this case, it's even weirder because for I mean, the the machine that's supposed to feed the worker uh, without the worker moving. I guess it's supposed to be that way so that the worker can keep working. Well, mm-hmm. he's, okay, but there's no way that that can happen. I mean, if you look at the machine; he's pretty much strapped to a chair. Mm-hmm. So. How is this helping? It's the prototype. Oh, because it's a prototype. But, it, I mean, as members of the audience, we can see that this is not working from, like, the first 10 seconds. And it takes him a good five to seven minutes to really, like, call it off and be like, okay, this is not practical. <laughs> after after you go through an entire Looney Tunes short yes. there. In the, his teeth are hanging out of his head and he's got two black eyes type of thing. And they're like, okay, let's call it off. Yeah, he has, like, little birds, like, you know, flying around his head. Basically, this is the final straw, though, for uh, the tramp, and he snaps and starts basically just hitting people with his wrenches and just flying all over the place, causing just massive um, pandemonium on the assembly line, screwing everything up. Orders are just getting jammed in. Um, starts spraying everybody with oil. He's he's just completely lost it at this point. Yeah, it, it's it, it also it, it's kind of like this weird world. Uh, I guess because Chaplin, you know, this movie is made at the time where like they were trying, they were transitioning into talkies, and he was kind of like refusing to let go of silent. So there's a lot of like silent storytelling here, but every now and then he'll break out with like just people talking Mm -hmm. (laughs) through machines, and it's just really weird because then it's just there are times when like like when they're introducing that machine, like the guys just come in, wheel the machine in, and then there's like a message playing while they're like, just kind of like nodding. And I'm like, why wouldn't you be talking? You know, it's like this movie takes place in this really weird world where people talk sometimes and sometimes you hear them and sometimes you don't. And sometimes mm-hmm. you get t- title cards and sometimes you don't. It, it's just, it's just such a mess. I, so I don't know that I think in a way Chaplin was probably losing his mind, but this point, and it just bled over into his character. <laughs> When he goes crazy in the factory. He gets hauled off to the loony bin following this just um, incoherent rant and rambling and uh, just path of destruction at his workplace. We get a title card saying, with life anew, he's back on the streets, but he's jobless. And uh, basically through a series of happenstance, he gets mistaken as a communist leader of a a rallying group, uh, basically there for jobs. And and The good old days when, you know, you could just... The, the villain of, of, of you know of the week was the communist. <laughs> you could just assemble and uh, not fear being shot, but there is some police brutality. They, they're pretty rough with them here. Yeah, there there is. 
in, in I guess I mean I just watched Trumbo uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago and mm-hmm. and because you know I didn't live in that era it's always like baffling to me how like like oh my god it was such a big deal you know to be a communist and uh, I don't know like the big it, just like the fact that if you sympathize with communists I mean it still is I guess mm-hmm. but back then you know the fact that you could just be thrown in jail like right yeah. away so. Uh, so this happens, and you're like, okay, well, maybe we're gonna get to the issues now, you know? <laughs> I mean, this is like, I mean, if this is supposed to be a classic, and and Chaplin is so revered, I'm like, we finally gotta get to the meat of the story here. You know, he's mistaken as a communist, but maybe as he's in jail, he learns about communism and he embraces things. And you know, modern times is actually about Charlie Chaplin turning red. Uh, and wouldn't it be awesome if it stops being black and white, and then it turns into like just everything gets like a red tint? While he's in prison, but that's not what happens. Instead, prison is just kind of like this cheap hostel. Yeah. That, you know, he doesn't really have a rough go at it uh, while he's there. During his stint in the clink is when we're introduced to the secondary character, the aforementioned Ellen Peterson, the gammon, the waterfront child who refuses to go hungry. The wild child. The wild child, played by Paulette Goddard. Um, basically, just a vagrant and... Uh, has two orphan sisters and her father at home, and she basically steals food for them because the dad's unemployed and off at work every day. He's she's presented as a hero, you know, like mm-hmm. oh she's like doing good. She's also like on speed because every, she moves like three times as fast as everybody else in the movie, and she's like laughing maniacally <laughs> and stealing bananas and and yeah, that's fine. She brings bananas to her sisters and and her dad, but that's unemployed. Who's unemployed and. Uh, but then at the end, it was like she just stole that. Yeah. She didn't steal it from somebody rich. Like it was just somebody that was selling fruit at the harbor. So, yeah. so she's a criminal. <laughs> it's a cutthroat time, you know. Oh yeah, the, the big depression. I'm sorry, <laughs> I forgot. In jail, in prison, the tramp experiences um, a mix-up in which he almost overdoses on cocaine. Um, one of the inmates is wanted for nose powder quotations as the title card tells us and they put it in I guess a salt shaker a parmesan cheese shaker and Charlie Chaplin just I guess he's a man who loves his salt because he puts it all over his plate and his bread and uh, basically gets hopped up out of his mind but you know as this whole movie is is just a series of random happenstance it works out in his favor he stops a prisoner takeover and he is so coked up out of his mind, he's able to dodge gunfire like Neo in the Matrix. It's 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 not. It will not be the last time that the Chaplin's character is heavily intoxicated in this movie, and it works out in his favor. No. So you could say that maybe Charlie Chaplin was trying to endorse cocaine use, and that's just bad. I mean, really, nothing <laughs> bad, nothing bad happens to him as, nope. as a you know as a result of him just consuming. An insane amount of cocaine. Uh, I want to know how many people did cocaine and asked their friends to shoot at him after they watched this movie back in the 30s. Yeah, maybe they were expecting to just act like he did, which mm-hmm. is just like he just walks funny and spins around and nothing <laughs> nothing bad happens. He's in prison and you can't tell me that he, he didn't go crazy. He never yeah. goes into like a cocaine rage or anything. He just... And then he's fine. He doesn't have any, any like, after he sobers up, he seems to be fine as well. He doesn't have any coming down, no withdrawals, nothing like nope. that. Uh, we get a wide shot. And for some reason, Ellen Peterson's father is shot in a big herd of people. It's not really explained. I guess this is just something that happened during the Great Depression. I, I was not alive there, and I did not study the Great Depression in school, so I really can't tell you. But 
I'm assuming, you know, America's a violent country. It is. Yeah. We love our guns. Yeah. So. All you have to do is just do a bunch of cocaine, though, and you'll be able to dodge the gunfire. No, he was not on cocaine. That's why he got shot. Exactly. He, he, was, too, he was unemployed, and he was not in jail. So he has the, the worst position imaginable. So the law comes and takes the orphans, uh, Ellen's two younger sisters, and basically while these police officers are filling out the paperwork to take these children, Ellen just takes off running and runs from the law. Abandons um, her little sisters. And at that point, she becomes wanted for uh, vagrancy. So. <laughs> Yes, it was a big deal. It was. Almost as bad as being a communist, apparently. <laughs> Due to his heroism, uh, the tramp, Charlie Chaplin, is granted early release from prison, and he is given a job on the docks. Uh, this doesn't last too long, though. Prior to that, though, we get kind of the more awkward scene in the film where he's just awaiting his release, and the priest and his wife who visit the prison once a week come in, and it's just a two- or three-minute scene. The priest and the warden leave, leaving the tramp and the priest's wife alone. And they begin drinking tea, and they both begin having a bout of gas. And it seemed like something from a, a 90s Eddie Murphy film as opposed to a 30s Charlie Chaplin one. Yeah, which just goes to show that, you know, just bad taste in comedy, it, it just it started from the very beginning. It's not that comedy was ruined by Eddie Murphy or Adam Sandler or whatever. It was always there. Like the, that, uh, there's there's something. Uh, I, I think that once a, a a comedian gets too big, then they just they just kind of play want to play with like you know the the uh, what, what they can it? get away with. Yeah, you know, so, eh, far joke. Why not? <laughs> right in the middle. Right in the middle of this this uh, big uh, statement against technology and uh, and just unemployment and all, and you know all this. Well, it's just a far joke. We'll throw it in there. But he is released, and he ha- does have a job on the docks working on ships, and basically leads to um, him unanchoring a ship that isn't completed, and it just sinks into the water. This guy is a real galoob. I'm surprised no one's beat the shit out of him at this point in the film. Maybe that's why he walks funny. Somebody broke his legs at some point. They're just like, <laughs> we've had enough He's of He's like you. Brian Cranston in Drive. He did a wrong deal with the mob, and they broke his pelvis. Yeah, there you go. This is where our two characters cross paths, the the tramp and the gammon, as she is stealing a loaf of bread out of a bakery truck, as I guess she is hungry, as was the style at the time. And the police try to catch her, but he knows that he's not going to be able to find a job, so uh, Chaplin's just trying to get back to prison, so he takes the blame for it. You can't blame him, because the few times that you see him in prison, after he, you know stop the, the the riot and everything like they were treating him really well mm-hmm. which i doubt that that was the way it was back then in the 30s if you went to prison it's not like you got to chill out with the with the sheriff you know in your cell and play cards and you just <laughs> have like a nice bed all to yourself you have a big picture of abraham lincoln in your cell <laughs> yeah that's that's insane so uh but in this movie of course you know it's like that of course he wants to go back to prison mm-hmm. so this is i guess their meet cute yeah, she's stealing a loaf of bread, and he takes the rap for it. Only there's a rich white woman who saw the whole thing go down, and she's insistent to the police officers that the the little girl did it. And um, so they both get thrown in the back of the paddy wagon. Which, uh, in the paddy wagon, uh, there is the appearance, the one and only appearance of the sassy black woman. Yes. Which, again, proving that comedy tropes go all the way back to the 30s. <laughs> <laughs> there is a sassy black woman and uh, a funny-looking Mexican sitting next to her. So even there, the seeds were for just things that will become... Really- and they're both going to jail. <laughs> yes. Come on, Chaplin. <laughs> Uh, he offers his seat to her on the paddy wagon. Ellen takes it, and you know 
they make eye contact and things are going pretty well. When they are thrown from the wagon, it seems to be a kerfuffle on board, and they are thrown off the back. Very unsecure vehicle for law enforcement. The, like the back is open. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's not even a, the pretense of uh, of safety there. But yeah, they. Uh, I think she tries to escape, and that's what throws the whole thing off. Yeah, uh, and then they land on top of the police officer that was guarding the open <laughs> hatch of this van. Uh, they manage to escape. They head off to what I thought was like a meadow at first, but it's really just like a residential curb. Like they're just sitting at like the end of back someone's the day, lawn. Yeah, back in the day, much more green areas <laughs> than than now. So, uh, yeah, which that leads to the the one and only fantasy sequence in the movie, uh, mm-hmm. which is really weird. It, it's it it felt they just like met padding. and they're like thinking about life the rest of their lives together. Yeah, I mean he's very forward, but she doesn't she. It's it gets worse later on, but the fact that she sticks around with him is just I think that that should give him a hint of the desperation in this girl's life, Absolutely. and that maybe he should like get out of the way. Uh, and she doesn't even tell him like, "Hey, I just, my dad just got murdered, and I lost my sisters." So he has no idea where she's at mentally. Right. I mean, all things considered, she's taking her dad's death really well <laughs> or really badly, and you know she's just like keeping it all in, mm-hmm. uh, and he doesn't know about it. So you know she's kind of a ticking bomb. Uh, but yeah, they just kind of like see a couple, a, a well-to-do couple, like coming out of their house and they start fantasizing about what it would be like to live there uh, have a big steak a yeah. cow that lives outside your house <laughs> yes just kind of like peace milk <laughs> into the jar the dream so this next sequence um i guess i missed the title card so there was an accident at a department store and the department store was abandoned no the uh the watchman the guy that took care of it at night broke his leg oh okay so, so there's an immediate opening and and Chaplin just gets it. Oh, okay. So he he's the night watchman. Yeah, he has like his magic letter that the sheriff gave him when he left jail that says this man is trustworthy. That's Which right. is like he was he's not. I mean, <laughs> or did you just completely forget that you arrested him for being a communist? <laughs> <laughs> Waving the red flag. Yeah. That leads to him bringing in Ellen and they just run amok. They eat all the cake and sandwiches in the store. Uh they play with all the toys which leads to is it the most famous scene of this film, the roller skating scene? Uh, I thought the most famous one was him singing, but I could be wrong. I think it's definitely one of the most memorable quote-unquote scenes is him blindfolded roller skating like a goddamn maniac next to a big open balcony that he could fall over and die. Which really, that's the toy section, like the toy floor. You know, mm-hmm. The fourth floor is the, the toy department and... Uh, and it's like kids could be like dying there. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you don't need to be blindfolded on rollerblades to to be in danger in that area. And uh, and it's just like you know wide open to the public. That time in history, man. First polio and then open balconies. <laughs> you know. So you know it's just every pretty woman, big type montage here where she's trying on all the fancy clothes. He's playing around with all the toys. They're eating all the fancy foods, and some burglars break in. And again, he's able to dodge this gunfire. Yeah, he uh, he dodges he dodges a gunfire which hits the wine barrels, mm-hmm. which is like what the hell kind of store is this? <laughs> like <laughs> the first floor has like actual wine barrels there, and then he gets drunk on the wine that's coming out of the barrels, mm-hmm. and uh, and then once he's drunk, one of the burglars, uh, Big Bill, Big Bill, <laughs> is the guy he worked with next on to the assembly line. The guy that hated his guy. Yeah, I know, like he <laughs> was always like trying to kill him, and yet they're buddies again. And 
Yeah, um, he recognizes him, and then they just kind of like party. And his line is much like with uh, when we first met uh, the Gaiman, mm-hmm. Gaiman, Gaiman, Ellen, Ellen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's is that no, we're not, we're not burglars. We're just hungry. Yeah, and I'm like, I guess that's a very like oversimplification of uh, of America. <laughs> <Back then. laughs> we do hungry. need more stores like that, though. First floor, you get loaded, go up a few flights of stairs, play with toys. Roller skate and fall, fall, <laughs> fall, fall back down. Sue the, sue the store. And Not work again. There you go. That that depression. is the current the American dream. <laughs> so naturally, this leads um, to the tramp going back to jail. I believe he's only there for ten days, if I'm not mistaken. He's yeah. He's there for a short stint, and he gets back out. And Ellen is there still, or back? Excuse me, to no shoes on. Just looking ratty. Waiting for him behind a wall. Uh, super clingy. Has found a shack that she's renovated to be their home now. So they've spent roughly two days together so far. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then, you know, he spent 10 days in jail. And uh, he's not like a catch. No. He, especially now. He just got out of jail for the second time. He has like, you know, he has a, a, a and she's <laughs> she's an absolute wreck at this point. So right. she could be looking for a bad boy. Yeah, and, and you know that's the thing. That's where I kept like. You know, I'm pretty point. sure she's 30 years younger than him, though. <laughs> that too. <laughs> she doesn't know any better, or at least she's supposed to be. I guess <laughs> uh, there is. Well, there's two things about the relationship which become just very clear once they move into this little shack that she's found. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is that. Uh, it, it's you know that quote. Uh, I know it from a Woody Allen movie, but I think it's from uh, one of the Marx Brothers. And uh, the one like I wouldn't want to be part of a of a club that would have me as a member. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Like the little tramp, like Chaplin's character, is such a loser that really for him, if a girl shows interest, that should be the biggest red flag ever. You know, she's <laughs> clearly she has some some issues, and and yet he goes with it. But the other thing is that even they move into this little shack. And that's where it really comes to the forefront how, like, asexual the relationship is, which doesn't make any sense because the movie doesn't explain, you know, doesn't give you a reason why he wouldn't, like, try to at least flirt with her in any way. You know, she is really attractive. He seems to be, you know, heterosexual, (laughs) maybe. I don't know. I would like to. But, no, he moves into, like, this little room that's, like, to the side, like like the doghouse. And she's, like, in in the main room and there's never even like a hint of anything they're kind of like like roommates but there's no reason why it, it just felt weird you you think you know these people in these extreme circumstances that's when you get like the spark and you oh know, yeah they, they would connect but there's nothing and so it just the whole thing it felt really fake i i thought if you want me to believe that i'm watching like real people here like you know hot-blooded Americans in the depression, then there needs to be some sexual tension. And there was absolutely no sexual tension here. Give me Mike Douglas and Glenn Close over this shit. I'm telling you, I want to see some sweat. So they're having breakfast, uh, the day after several days after, you know, this very unhealthy relationship and living arrangement has begun. Newspaper says that the factories are back open. So it's back to work. goes the little tramp. And, you know, it's a serious. It's basically another comedic set piece where he keeps fucking shit up with this guy on the job, flattens his uh, pocket watch, gets him stuck in the gears and grinders of the machinery, and then before you know it, they're on strike, so he's out of work again. Yeah, and and oh, so basically, he accomplished nothing, and then they're on strike, mm-hmm. and you almost want to be like, why? Why? What are you striking <laughs> for? You should be glad that you have this job as it is, no matter what conditions you're in. At least you know, because obviously you're not. 
you're not good for anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, which gave me this really uncomfortable feeling that Chaplin was, in a way, blaming the workers for the Great Depression. It's like, listen, we gave them work, and they couldn't handle it, and then they go on strike. You know, it's like America's situation was, you know... You created this you monster. You created the blue-collar society. That was you. So on his way out of the factory where the strike is going on, obviously there's police officers trying to restore order. He steps on a plank that kind of launches a brick into the back of the head of a police officer... And, you know, for assaulting a police officer with a potentially deadly weapon, he only does two weeks. So <laughs> yeah. He got but off again, right. He's white. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's also another moment where I thought the movie missed the, the opportunity of getting real. Mm-hmm. You know, because it was like you have the stage is set for a riot. It's not that this happens isolated from everything else. Like all the, all the people on strike and all the police officers are there. And it, can you imagine the way that Michael Bay would have shot this? Like, you know, <laughs> the brick flies in slow motion, uh, and, and, you know, it hits the cop, and then, like, the other cops pull their guns, and then we're just like, no, don't do it. It wasn't his fault. And then, before you know it, there's, like, blood One shit. of the bullets goes through, like, the middle of his cane, and it, it splinters everywhere. Yeah, there's, like, a little kid, like, covering his ears on the ground, <laughs> and then there's a dog that jumps in between. And then just a shot of the hat flying through the air. I want to see that movie now. Please, Michael Bay remake uh, modern, modern times. times you can make it silent i don't care i'll, I'll give you something you know just so you can give it a, a, a you can say that you're a tour and who would just... play charlie chaplin by today's standards? josh gad why do you even ask me <laughs> <laughs> could have emma stone play the gammon yeah yeah mm-hmm. she she's the type she's the type yeah. she looks like she likes to walk around barefoot and have uh, Liam Hemsworth play Big Bill. <laughs> yeah. and, oh, no. and Liam Hemsworth is <laughs> Big Bill. I, I'll tell you this. is This is actually the Emma Stone thing. Uh, it actually ties into a point that I wanted to make, which is that, uh, you know, you keep – people keep talking about how, like, you know, the diversity and, you know, all the stuff. And, yeah, it's true. You know, movies need to be more diverse and all stuff. But we have come a long way. It, it, because now at least women are allowed to be funny like in this movie <laughs> there's for you know she's a good actress and everything but she doesn't get a single comedic moment no it, it is like chaplin hogs all the attention as far as like comedy she gets to just like be pretty and and smile and laugh and cry a little bit and just kind of <laughs> you know be there but uh Going back a few paces, I want Hurley from Lost to be Big Bill. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, but during this uh, third stint in the pen, I think um, that's another that's another like lost opportunity. By the way, because I really wanted to. He see should have come out with like a teardrop tattoo or something, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, you've already established that he got along with the cops. You know, he saved their lives earlier in the movie. So why not develop that relationship? You just have to see them, like you know. Yeah. The, the third time he comes back, like, you know, they greet him and they have his favorite food there or something. I don't know. You know? Just a vial of cocaine for him. <laughs> there you go. In, in a soul shaker. <laughs> exactly. So during his third stint in the, the big house, Ellen begins dancing on the street for money because this movie hates women. And <laughs> the local cafe owner is like, hey, she could dance here and that'd be great. Except he doesn't say it because there's no dialogue in the movie. They get, you get a title card. That's right. And uh, and it's funny because he said, like, you know, you see her dancing and then it cuts to like these two older men just watching her. And you're like, oh, pervs. <laughs> and, then, and then you get the title card and he's like, oh, you know, she's great. 
uh, a bit, a bit should be really good at the cafe, or I could use her at the cafe. And my first thought is like, what are you gonna have her do at a cafe? Is she gonna dance there? Yeah. And then you cut, and it's like that's exactly what they have her do. <laughs> <laughs> they dress her in this like skimpy, you know, dress, and then and then she's actually dancing in between the tables. Yeah. Um, this leads to some newfound money for her though, and she's doing pretty well. When the tramp gets out of jail, she's there. She says, you know, I can get you work. Um, has him hired on as a waiter at the restaurant and also as a singer. He's there to provide the entertainment. Which leads to our final set piece of the film, which is just a long sequence of comedic uh, mishaps. And just, again, I hate using the word happenstance too many times, but it seems to be the case with this. Things just happen. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I, I asked you because I thought maybe I'd miss a, a title card. Uh, because it really looked like a New Year's party. Mm-hmm. And this cafe did not look... It was like, at times it turns into like a rave. You know, it just... <laughs> there's people crowding the dance floor out of nowhere, and he's trying to deliver food, you know, and it's just like packed. Uh, and there's, of course, like the one poor bastard that's actually trying to eat. <laughs> the only guy in there trying to eat, he just wants his goddamn roasted duck so yeah. badly. <laughs> okay, when was the last time you were at a restaurant that serves roasted duck and has like a dance floor where people would go and party? At? And wasn't a Chinese buffet. <laughs> Yeah, but no, uh, and this guy, of course, is like, you know, old and white and all like, you know, stuck up and he just doesn't see Well, of see course, he's a white character in this movie. He's not in the paddy wagon. <laughs> right. So, yeah, it basically leads to him being a very inept waiter and they're going to can him, um, but he does have his musical performance to do. Uh, he can't remember the lyrics, so Ellen writes him on his cuff. He goes out and starts dancing and his cuff immediately flies off. And this leads to... Uh, uh, yeah, you were correct. Uh, I had mentioned the roller skating scene earlier, but the most famous scene in this where uh, the tramp finally speaks, and it's just absolute gobbledygook and nonsense. But for some reason, everyone understands what he's saying. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's. I mean, they try to justify it. Like, uh, at some point, I mean, very early in the movie, like I said, the, the, the filmmakers clearly just threw logic out the window, and they decided that it wasn't... They weren't going to bother trying to justify why some people talk and why some people don't. And, mm-hmm. you know... Uh, but then for some reason they felt the need to justify why he's going to sing nonsense. And it, I think it just goes back to Chaplin's really weird determination to not have the little tramp speak, even though, yeah. you know, he didn't want to, like, cave into the modern world. And uh, so he's like, okay, fine, you want to hear him speak? Yeah, okay, cool, but he's going to speak nonsense. So they have the – when he forgets the lyrics and the, he, he loses the cuffs where he'd written the lyrics uh, – it's not not. It's just like a bunch of different languages and half words mixed right. together. It, it sounds like Italian at first, yeah. But then you're like, that's not Italian. That's you know. And then it's, it's clear that it's just nothing. Yeah. Uh, and he's pantomiming actions and sounds like it looks like he's telling a story of a woman who's disloyal to her husband. No, no, no. You actually see the story when she writes the lyrics on the cuff. There's okay. like a brief shot that tells you the story of the song. Mm-hmm. So it's really kind of like two guys, uh, uh, a woman and a guy meet. He's ugly, but he's rich, and so she she sees his diamond ring and she goes with him, you know, to his uh, house or something. So so they kind of like prep you for that, but but it still doesn't make sense that he would just why wouldn't he just say that? Yeah, you know. And my theory is that all that cocaine use just fried his brain, so he can't remember. <laughs> like that's a very basic story. He can It's easier for him to make up words, and he makes up words because the girl tells him, uh, just sing whatever. You yeah, know, just say the words. You don't have to say the exact words. So instead, he just makes up his own language. And then the show must go on with Ellen going out there in a little skimpy outfit to dry, uh, to dance 
for the masses, uh, those eating their roasted duck and whatnot. <laughs> um, but meanwhile, um, kind of interwoven with this, I think it was right before the waiter um, set piece, we see a warrant issued for Ellen's arrest for vagrancy and evading the law as an orphan. There's still, there, you know, it's been what, at least a month yeah, more than that. And they're still like chasing her hard. It's this a serious is, crime. I this guess it's like an FBI investigation. You would think that there, again, it's, it's kind of uh, embarrassing that he, that he would depict America this way. You know, it's like, this is how we waste our resources. You know, this is yeah. why the country's in such bad shape. Cause you have, Two or three agents pursuing this girl that has done nothing. Yeah, and the warrant they issue for her is handwritten with like a, a headshot of hers. Yeah. That uh, yeah, it's way too much effort, time, and money was spent put into this. Um, she is able to escape though. They get her at first, but her and the tramp are able to. They basically just throw a bunch of chairs down in the way, cause a, a path of destruction on their way out, which is something that Chaplin's character is very used to, and it aids in their escape. I, I was surprised that there weren't any shots fired in that occasion because it mm-hmm. seems like people are pretty loose with the guns. And yeah, one. that's no the, joke. <laughs> there's the, a lot of like gunshots going on throughout the movie. I think this is only second to Smoke and Aces in the <laughs> movies we've covered with the most amount of gunshots in it. But uh, it's the next morning, and they're just kind of off the side of the road again, kind of uh, back from which they began. And she's really dejected, and, you know, why run anymore? Which, again, I don't really know what she's done that's that bad. I mean, she just she just needs a good lawyer. Yeah, exactly. He's like a coked-out communist <laughs> leader who's assaulted a police officer um, and... Well, he needs to evaded tell the her. police. Yeah, his, his track record is about a mile long at this point. Right, and but the thing is, he needs to tell her how good he had it in prison because she could just have the same life there. You know, yeah. everything she wants is like that. That little house that she wants is, is basically his cell. Yeah, it's like you get free food, you get all the cocaine you want. You know, you get to sleep, lay yeah. around, have a big picture picture of Abe Lincoln hanging up in your cell. You get to drink tea that makes you fart. It's hilarious. Um, but he tells her, you know, to always push forward, basically, and you know everything's going to be fine, and we just got to keep moving and always be smiling. And they march off into the new dawn together. What it holds for them, we're left as the audience not knowing. Except we do know because we're like eighty years later, so we're like, <laughs> listen, America was fine, Chaplin, and you, <laughs> you with your demonizing of technology <laughs> and all your like paranoid communist fears, that the, they amounted to nothing. So it, you know, just just suck it because. And, it, and yeah, like to add on to that, you really don't realize how important end credits are until you watch something like this. It just ends. I wanted someday by Sugar Ray to come on, or you know, <laughs> don't want to miss a thing by Aerosmith. But no, we just get it. At least give us like a uh, you know a reprise of of his song. Yeah, exactly. Like, maybe with the right words this time. <laughs> Like Tia Tia Carrera's cover of it or something. Yeah, exactly. You just get like somebody. The one that they sing at the Oscars, that's yeah. the one that you get in the credits. <laughs> but yeah, it was just over. And then it just went back to the menu. And you and me were just sitting there like, that's it? Yeah, it's... Uh, Samuel it, Jackson didn't even come and talk to him. It, it reminds me <laughs> at the very end of the credits. Yeah. I'd like to, to, hear, to join the United Artists. Uh, no, you think uh, this is the only modern times? <laughs> Motherfucker, I've seen the future. <laughs> Yeah, overall, very. Uh, I mean, I'll tell you the truth. I wasn't expecting much because mm-hmm. I already knew. You know, I'm like, yeah, it might be 100 percent on Rotten Tomatoes, but I know this is like, you know, an old movie that's probably completely out of touch with the way things are now. 
and uh, and I was that was that's exactly what I got. No it, foresight, very short sighted movie. Very um, like dated comedy. Yeah. Just uh, and, and again, you know, there's those just huge oversights when it comes to women and minorities and just common sense in general storytelling, the way that you tell a story now. He looks like a real idiot too. Cause everything worked out okay with the country. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's like, why did you feel the need to make this movie? I bet he'd feel like a huge asshole if he saw like America now. <laughs> he'd be like, Oh man, why did I do that? <laughs> yeah. Right now he'd be like the guy that, uh, that would be making like a, a movie against Trump or something. He'd be like, it's okay, Chaplin. It's going to be okay. So basically, he would be Michael Moore. <laughs> it would be him, Michael Moore, and Oliver Stone just hanging out, like having a few beers. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah, so concise and to the point, but uh, I think we're ready for some real talk about this. Yeah, so let's do some real talk. We can go over these facts that were kind of difficult to assimilate because there's no way to really prove how much money it cost to make and how much money it made. Just make it up. <laughs> Eight billion dollars. Sans consigne, 
Je laisse trop sa vite. Je la casse à All right, this is Real Talk, and this is for modern times. Good Lord, we haven't done anything nearly close to this old. <laughs> really? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, this is we did a black and white movie. It was, oh, oh uh, it's a wonderful life. But that's still like people talked. Yeah, there were no like, you know, cards like title cards. Yeah, this was released on February fifth of nineteen thirty six, um, with an estimated budget of one point five million dollars. According uh, to who? Like that's just like someone wrote a book about like the golden age of hollywood okay. or whatever and they just like came up with numbers of the, i guess you, i mean they keep the receipts from back in the day is that like an old folks tale like just you know told like down generations <laughs> uh with a estimated domestic box office gross of 1.4 million i would take that even more loosely than i would take the estimated <laughs> budget but i tried to assimilate what i could uh, the last major American silent film, uh, it still used silent film tropes like dialogue cards and things of that nature with obviously the score throughout the entire film. Um, obviously we we're making facetious, uh, references and, and jokes about this earlier, but, uh, the only voices come from mechanical devices. Yeah. And- which I think is pretty genius. Yeah. I, I really like it. I think that it's the perfect way of addressing how you, a very, uh, renowned silent filmmaker is making the transition into just yeah. talkies. It's like, okay, well, let's actually make a movie about this. And this was meant to be Charlie Chaplin's first talkie, uh, but he felt so strongly about the Tramp character that, and it's like you and I were talking about earlier, it's fitting that when he finally speaks, it's absolute nonsense. I thought you were going to say it was supposed to be his first like talkie, and then he lost his cuffs and couldn't remember the dialogue. <laughs> Uh, yes, of course, written, directed, produced, and music done by Charlie Chaplin. Um, it wasn't, this wasn't like difficult, like other movies we've done to be like sarcastic and hating on it, ragging on it. Right, because you can be pretty stupid about yeah. you know, an old movie. If you it, interpret the way like a bro would watch this movie now, it's pretty <laughs> easy to, you know, but yeah, it's fantastic. It's and, and really hilarious it's not, and like so well written and acted and yeah 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 and it's not one of the things where you actually have to make an effort to give to, to get yourself in the context in the right context and you have to remind yourself well you know it was 80 years ago so of course it's like this no i mean it just catches you exactly. right away it, it's just uh i think that there's an innocence to that kind of filmmaking that makes the comedy really grab you right away yeah. you know it's like stuff that maybe would feel kind of like dumb in a modern movie, but in that kind of movie, it just works. Like the, all that stuff with the assembly line, I would just, I just kept laughing because it was the one part in particular where he grabs the flag because the flag falls off the back of a truck and he's just trying to return it to the truck. And the way it's shot with like this wide zoom in, how the parade just comes <laughs> up behind him and the like the look of just how he still is so unaware. It's <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. fantastic. 
Um, yes, and you weren't aware of, uh, in my research, I found what the original ending was, and I hadn't gone over this with you. The original ending was that the factory worker, the tramp, suffered a nervous breakdown from work and had to be checked into a loony bin and was being visited by Ellen, who had since become a nun. So he has another nervous breakdown? And he's like in the the nest for a while, and she's a nun and comes to visit him. Um, it's said that the ending was filmed, but apparently there's only still photographs that exist from the filming of it. And they were included on a 2003 release on DVD, but... Chaplin dropped the ending, saying that it wasn't hopeful enough. Well, yeah, I mean, it would be, like, a huge bummer. Well, and also, you know, not joking, this movie is not too kind to women and minorities, but uh, it would be, <laughs> like, yeah, it would be a huge disservice to her character, who's, like, free-willed and all right. that, just to... Yeah, unless you had her be a resentful nun, you know, and kind of, like, giving you the message of, well, the only way for her to get through this was by caving in and becoming part of society if, if you do, but then it's again a huge bummer yeah uh i mean it's sad enough as it is it's bittersweet that at the end they're both unemployed on the run from the law and all they have is each other <laughs> i mean that's not a yeah. completely happy ending it's just you know well it the tone of it's good though they're facing a new day and not knowing what it's going to hold but regardless um yeah it's just really good i completely understand its place in history um really really made me realize how much i dislike the artist like when i was watching it just because it's been forever since i've watched an actual silent film or a movie of that era and god i really don't like that movie i i don't mind the artist i i liked it i've seen it twice and i liked it better the first time around uh but it has it doesn't hold a candle to a movie like this you know because it's because this movie's not a fucking gimmick Right. This movie is not trying to be anything but itself, whereas it's, the artist is trying to be, you know. And it's such a good send-off, too, because to that era of film and that genre. And yeah, everything is saying you can read it on so many levels. And it's a, such a simple story and such a simple movie, but it, it has, like, so many things that it's trying to say, you know, that you can catch if you're, like, looking into it. If you know, you know, once if you do know the context, then you're yeah. like, oh, you know, th this whole thing about technology and just – the Great Depression, it's there's a lot of stuff in there if you want to just look for more than just the Pratt Falls and the physical comedy, which is great. I mean, Chaplin, I've yet to see a Buster Keaton movie, and they say Buster Keaton is even better at physical comedy than Chaplin. Yeah. But like when you watch something like this, it's like it's hard to imagine because he's just great. He, yeah. And like the, the whole cocaine sequence is so good, like the way he acts that out and everything. What I read, the way he liked to film his movies was. Uh, 18 frames per second and then during like the comedic set pieces it would be sp sped up to be replayed at 24 to give it a more, more frenetic feel and things like that that, so, that makes sense yeah actually uh, um i mean he has he has a lot of set pieces he was i mean that's him uh roller skating right that that was mm -hmm. there's no way that that's and it's like a single like, take <laughs> it was the most intensive one to prepare for obviously yeah but, the, uh the Stairwell was just like a painted set piece, so had he fallen, he wouldn't have actually died. Which <laughs> it's like uh, beginning of Mission Impossible 2. Sorry to burst the bubble. No. <laughs> John Woo's Modern Times. <laughs> uh, it was uh, re-released. They did a Christmas Day release of it in 2003. I don't really know what the context of it was to celebrate, but 
it was re-released in American theaters. But yeah, it, worthy of all the praise it gets. You know, it's one of those things you can't possibly argue with it being at 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Right. I mean, what what could you say that's not... I mean, you could, like, nitpick it and just say, well, but this doesn't flow very well, or you didn't need this scene or this sequence. It's, it goes on for too long. Or maybe, you know, what's my biggest thing? It would be what I said in the previous uh, segment, which is, like, she doesn't get to be funny. No. You know, but that is more of a... Uh, I think that's a reflection of the times. You know, it's like you can only ask for so much from a movie that's eighty years old. Yeah, yeah. But it, it is a shame. But and to a modern, you know, audience, that would probably stand out because she she clearly has charisma and she she has a screen presence. She just doesn't get to be funny. Yeah, it's it is clearly a case of like I'm the star. goddammit. it! You're just here to be my lackey. But, um. Well, even like the other guys get to be funny somewhat, mm-hmm. you know. Like that 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 guy gets stuck in the gears. Like the second yeah. time he goes to the factory, and then you know, uh, the guy with the bread at prison. You know, they get to be at least a little like silly. Like she's pretty straightforward. She like she just runs. It's so fascinating to watching. Just not necessarily this, but. Pretty much any movies pre sixties, how much longer takes were, and how scenes like were static shots and went on, and just gives you the overall feel that people were just more talented back they were then, just like actually doing stuff. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It's uh, like I mean, going back to that roller skating. I mean, there's no cuts. He just he just mm-hmm. goes. You know, he keeps yep. going there and. and Everything like his dancing in the in the final, you know, when he's singing right before he's singing, I was laughing because it's just. I mean, I've only seen it once, and it was a long time ago, so I didn't remember the specifics. I just remember liking it, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, when he starts doing that little number, like before he starts singing, where he's just like, you know, I, I can't even describe it. You just have to see it to understand why it's so funny. But he's doing that move where he's like, like uh, dragging his, his leg, out. Yeah. yeah, dragging his leg behind him. Um, you know, a lot of his movies with the the Tramp character and everything can kind of blend together. But like I said, and like uh, you had said, it's just kind of the ending is almost perfect of a farewell to the genre of film and also the character. And when he the I'm curious if that was all improv, like the, what he was singing and stuff, because it is just kind of like a made up language, right. it's something like Anne Heche would speak. But. <laughs> yeah, it's I. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he seems at the same time. I, I always got the feeling that he was such a, uh, a you know, just he's so controlling and about mm-hmm. everything that I don't know that he'd be very much into improv. That, that's true. Judd Apatow, he's not. <laughs> oh, uh, in, in in more ways than one. But yeah, I, during my research of this, I just read that uh, he basically almost drove himself mad doing the score and the music for this. Really, like he would work on it sixteen to eighteen hours a day towards the end of the production, and he would sleep on a cot in the studio. And uh, uh, Ellen, what's her, Paulette Goddard would like literally have to like beg him to stop working on it and everything. And it's it, it worked out because the score it's like again leads you to believe just how much more talented people were back then. Because something like this would not work without a good accompanying score, and um, and it's just you know eighty years old it goes to show kind of what we always say that kind of good is good regardless of context. There's mm-hmm. a lot of movies, a lot of CDs, a lot of music, movies, books, things like that that are good for the time frame they're released. But if you're great, you're great and you can just view it whenever. And this is a shining example of that. Yeah. That's what I was telling you. Like, you know, this is one that you can watch 
and you don't need to set your mind to like okay i i'm gonna watch it's not movie empire and, records <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's there's very few apologies that you have to make for the movie mm-hmm. while you're watching it you're just like oh this is just good it's, and the ones you do make you're like the world was a different place back then <laughs> right it's just there's only so much yeah. that, and also i forgot to start off the second part with this fuck you i listen to vinyl <laughs> all right <laughs> <laughs> i that was that was just me being silly that's fine if you want to listen to vinyl that's fine that's, and I, I, I do and i will that's all right, man. That's nobody's judging you. Got my Bruce I mean, Springsteen. <laughs> when was the last time that you listened to something on vinyl? Mm, a couple days ago. Anytime, Liar. No, anytime I'm in a living room, I listen to my vinyl collection. Uh, what was I listening to? I have Strung Out, Twisted by Design. I was listening to that. I got my Bruce vinyls that I always listen to. Man, <laughs> vinyl's awesome. <laughs> now, uh, as soon as I moved to Austin, I was like, well, got to get a vinyl player. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you gotta you gotta get with the times, uh, Mattis. There's this thing called uh, CDs. The, the, the CDs, <laughs> the CDs. Son, <laughs> we're past those too. All right. <laughs> There's this thing called the internet. <laughs> um, but I think that is an interesting tone of this film. The uh, it's not necessarily fear or resentment, but just the idea of machines coming in and taking over causes like kind of a ominous feeling, and I think. When the boss speaks over the intercom for the first time in the movie, it's like a really jarring moment. Right. And, and the, yeah, I mean, I think it's not just like machines, but it's also like, I think, sound taking over movies. I don't know. I could be completely – I haven't read anything. I could be completely wrong. Maybe Chaplin had absolutely no issues with any of this. But to me, it always felt like uh, from the very beginning, it's just him begrudgingly you know, making that transition. Yeah. So, yeah, you have – like that's an excellent point that it really feels so alien when you hear like the voice. Like I'd forgotten that there was actually like speaking here. I thought that the only time that you heard somebody talk was uh, the song at the end. And so the machines speaking are like really weird. And then like when you get at the very end and he's just giving her the pep talk, it's almost like, well, he's also talking to like – silent cinema and like himself it's like it'll be okay you just have to keep going and, and america and it's just like <laughs> well yeah and then you put in like on top of that like the great depression and it's you know it adds that extra level but yeah th- there's uh that thing of you know he made how many movies that were just done a very specific way and he was great at it and then suddenly there's this brand new way of doing things that requires a brand new set of skills. It's like, I mean, some people didn't make the transition as well as he did. So God, I hate the artist. <laughs> Maybe more so than Avatar. Well, no, Avatar didn't win Best Picture, but what Best Picture winner has had less staying power than the artist in the, like the last ten, maybe even twenty years. Maybe you need to rewatch it because I don't think fuck it's, that it's, movie, it's, dude. It's not that that hateable. Oh it's, yeah, it's okay. Jean Dujardin went on to do so much more after he won Best Actor. He was in Monument Men, I think. He was in Wolf of Wall Street. He was. Yeah. <laughs> Which hour was he in? <laughs> he's like he's late into the the movie. So oh, so the seventh. The, the, yeah. <laughs> It's like when you wake up and he's in the screen, it's like, oh, fuck, they're playing the artist now. <laughs> yeah, no, fuck that movie. Um, but, yeah, this is... I think, no, see, the thing with the artist is you have to do what you don't need to do with this movie. When you sit down to watch the artist, you have to get yourself in that headspace of like, oh, yeah, I'm going to watch a silent movie. And, you know, it's kind of like an homage to that era. And and then, you know, Wrong. maybe you can... Wrong. I'm not saying it makes it a great. You movie. have to watch it and say they wanted to win awards. I get it. Well, that too, but yeah. you know, it, it is the antithesis of the discussion we were having about Mad Max earlier. Mad Max <laughs> is the Academy saying, "Hey, we're cool," and 
the artist was them saying, hey, we're, we're everything cool. you think we are. <laughs> <laughs> we're a bunch of old white fucks that don't really care about fun movies. John the, Goodman is good in it. Yeah, well, the that's, dog is that's good like... In so, it. Oh, God, you know how much I love dogs. Come on. Um, the best thing that resulted from that was John Dujardin did uh, a cameo on SNL around the time of the Oscars. And what was really telling was he was in there as the character he played the artist and he did a skit with uh, Taryn Killam and uh, Zoe Deschanel because she was hosting and he didn't get really any reaction like, people didn't know who he was like he's just kind of there and it was like Woo! it was kind of like when John Cena was on SNL like <laughs> three people knew who he was and we were like yeah um but maybe you know. I think that it was a good skit, though. It was it was very entertaining. Uh, don't you think that maybe if you're like in that mindset of selling movies, and you can maybe get more out of it just because you're like, oh yeah, that's right. Those are the tropes. I mean, I'm not saying that it's it's super clever filmmaking, but it's you know that makes it a little more entertaining if you can pick out you know. Oh yeah, that's yeah, right. but that's it's not it's not be. hard to have sixty years to study a body of work and figure out what worked about it. Right. Yeah, I'm not saying it was the best movie. I'm not taking away anything from him and um oh, so you so you hate it because it won best movie. I'm sorry, I don't I, I don't hate anything. I don't use <laughs> I I uh, It's like me when I said that I hated Chris Columbus. <laughs> yeah. I don't hate anything. I really disliked the artist and I wouldn't have disliked it nearly as much if it didn't win everything. And I'm blanking on her name now, Bernice Bejo or something like that, the chick who was in it. Right. Beautiful, beautiful woman. And also, she was very, very good in it. And he is, too, because, you know, um, to convey emotions without words is obviously a very strong like thing to do. But at the same time, whoever the fuck was that made that movie, it's not hard to study a body of work, you know, that was 60 years or 70 years old or whatever it was, and then find out what worked when when it didn't. It's like... That's like when you watch fucking um, any of the last few Bruce Willis action movies with the exception of Looper. You're like, <laughs> you should know what works in these and what doesn't. Right. But the fact that they don't get it right every time, I think, should it actually means that more credit goes to the people to actually pull it off. But it's not like a bunch of silent films are being made. Right. But, but he still made a good one. Because you could easily, even with all that wealth of information, you could easily make a movie that doesn't work. But you didn't walk out of it just thinking that is going to win all the awards and that's all it wanted to do. Oh, no. Oh, well, okay. No, I didn't walk out of it because I saw it earlier uh, mm-hmm. uh, before it actually opened. So I was in Hollywood. They invited me to screen. <laughs> no, I you played, and John. Yeah. <laughs> no, I played at the Austin Film Festival. So I, I, I saw it way before that. So to me, it was just kind of like a cool novelty when I watched it. Ah, so that was your Juno. Because <laughs> I saw Juno way before all the hype started, and I was like, "That was cute." And then, like, <laughs> when everyone started nominating for awards, I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> like, what are we doing here?" Yeah, yeah, I mean, the artist is a better movie than Juno. No, it's not. Come on, now you're just trolling me. You're just trying to 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 change my. I've told my you this a million times. When Jennifer Garner's the highlight of your movie, you got some thinking to do. I think we need to we need to watch Juno on a future episode. I wanted to do that just so I could trash it, but it's kind of it's like in the seventies, so <sighs> we'd have to wait for episode forty to do it. Yeah, or or we can just do it. at some point we'll do a. Uh, J.K. Simmons is good too. When one of our friends gets pregnant, we'll do a special Juno episode, a bonus episode. <laughs> yeah, 
Next time, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully not you or I. Uh, when baby Fitz gets another uh, sibling, yeah, we can dedicate Juno to them. Um, but getting back to modern times, it's just like oh, and like I told you, you, you we watched this on Criterion Blu-ray. The film restoration is incredible. The yeah, quality. that's uh, really really good quality. It's it looks great, which that's another reason why sometimes it's just a little off-putting to watch old movies when the transfer is not good, and mm-hmm. you just kind of like. You know, you're used, your eyes used to just seeing like stuff that's like very clean and crisp and everything. And then sometimes, but here it's just, it's just pretty much perfect. So, yeah. I have a DVD of The Great White Hope. It's an old movie with James Earl Jones. It's not even like 80 years old, but the film conversion was just dog shit on the DVD. <laughs> so it really takes away from it. It's a good movie, though. Um, yeah. And, you know, we said you can't really argue with its place in history or its quality. Yeah, I I do. I really it makes me want to watch more Chaplin because I've seen a handful of shorts and I watched The Kid, uh, I watched City Lights not too long ago, and then I watched the only talkie of his that I've watched was uh, The Great Dictator, mm-hmm. and uh, and so I would always say yeah, Modern Times is my favorite out of the ones that I've seen. But uh, like I said, I watched City Lights not too long ago, and that's another just masterpiece. That's the one where he is uh, he meets a, a a blind girl. And the blind girl thinks that he's rich because of, you know, things that happen. She thinks that mm-hmm. he's rich. And then he kind of, like, keeps up that pretense through the movie. It's really sweet. It's really good. It's really funny. It's just like this one, you know. Yeah. So I'm like, at some point, how do you, you know, it might get to a point where you're like, I just can't choose. You know, they're all good. Yeah. Because uh, the kid's really good, too. So he's, like, the opposite of Lachlan Monroe. <laughs> <laughs> you have nothing but good things to choose from. Yeah, he's. Uh, I tell you, I got the 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 gold rush at the Criterion sale, so mm-hmm. that's like my next one, and that's that's also pretty pretty well known. So I'm looking forward to watching it. But yeah, he's just he's a master. It's 100. percent That's one of those times when like yeah, Run Tomato gets it. But like we mentioned with uh, I think when we're talking about Home Alone, it's also like the people that would take the time and the effort to post a review and put it on Rotten Tomatoes, you mm-hmm. know, are people that probably would appreciate this movie because it's so old. It's not like somebody that just went and saw it at the theater and then has like a gut reaction and just goes and posts. <laughs> and thinks they're like the, the first person to discover this movie. <laughs> right. And, and so, you know, it would be different if I guess, you know, it opened today and then you had like a bunch of people actually complaining about whatever they didn't like. And then you have like a more mixed thing you know but 100 percent. that's that's nice to see mm-hmm. every now and then you know it reflects like you know i would give it the full like five star treatment yeah would you give it like what would your, your thing is like perfect a 10, for what it an is a an a is it do yeah the i do a grading scale so a plus no it's absolutely perfect for what it is and i don't know if you can say that about any other movie we've done Trying to think outside of Family Stone, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect to watch at Christmas with the Mattis family. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, it was fun. Uh, easily one of the more enjoyable ones we've done, just in terms of watching something and um, definitely different. I had a friend who told me his favorite thing about our podcast is there's no concurrent theme to what we do. It's I, just... I strongly disagree. <laughs> I, th- I think that we're actually very focused on – I mean, there's no theme, like running theme throughout the movies. That's Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That's what he meant. Like the, the movie selections, if you just read them, it's like they're not going for anything. It's just like all over the place, which Extremes, is good. I yeah. Guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, we concluded our political arc, which was a lot of fun, minus the last movie we watched. Uh, 
But what oh, yeah. coming up next? Yeah, what's next on the horizon? We have a two-parter uh, guest starring the one and only Brandon Curtis, Zurich Cheyenne. Yes, uh, he will. Uh, he will be with us for uh, another forty-eight hours and forty-eight hours in that order. Uh, I thought that it would be fun to do them, you know, in opposite order because right now we just did a really high scoring movie. So our next one needs to be a low scoring movie, which means that we can do 48 hours. Mm-hmm. And rather than make Curtis wait one more episode, I figure, <laughs> no, let's just do the sequel that has a really low score and we'll do the sequel first and then do the other one next. Um, Sound judgment. Sounds, you know, why not mix it up a little bit? Uh, and it well, takes us just one step closer to episode 30 where we get to do the A-team. Yes, and at some point, I guess it might, it'll be a bonus episode if it doesn't land properly because you wanted to do whatever movie for WrestleMania. Oh, Ready to Rumble. That's right. I completely forgot about that. Is yes. that like a is that like a gray area or is that what no, is No, that's a really low – even amongst wrestling fans, it's pretty divisive. <laughs> but uh, it um, – well, we can just talk about the whole history of that movie and I'll kind of – you can try to understand what I'm telling you when we do that. But, uh, yeah, so we'll try to do that the week before WrestleMania. So last week of March, we'll squeeze in a bonus episode of Ready to Rumble. Well, and, maybe we can get The Undertaker to come in and just <laughs> join in. Hey, guys. Yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, it led to David Arquette being World Heavyweight Champion. So we can discuss all that when we get to the proper channel. Can't I can't wait. <laughs> but first, we'll have Walter Hill for two movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, so that's 26, 27, 30 is the 18, so at least 28 and 29 open. Maybe one of those will be a good day to thy heart. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> but uh, that was Modern Times. That was a lot of fun. Do um, you have anything to plug this week? Um, Wait, before I remember what I wanted to plug, uh, we did say that I was going to uh, choose what my Christmas movie is going to be from now on. Yes. Uh, last time. And uh, yeah, I'm just settling on uh, The Force Awakens. Fuck it. All right. Just, because I've spent so much time like talking about it and it really, I guess, from now on, every time I watch it or think of it, it's just going to take me back to December 2015. <laughs> you know, and uh, I... So by this time for next Christmas, you'll have already owned it on Blu-ray. Yes, and and, so. and I'll probably rewatch it before I go watch the next Star Wars movie that's coming out in December, the Rogue Squadron. Yeah, well, what are they doing? They're doing offshoots, and then well, yeah, because the next one comes out in like Episode Eight comes out in twenty seventeen. I think Ryan Johnson's Episode Eight. Yes, and then but twenty sixteen is a uh, Rogue Squadron, which is the prequel. That oh, it's that's about- the one with like Will Smith and Jared Leto and <laughs> yes. the one Robbie. that has the, the new trailer with. Uh, with Bohemian Rhapsody. Yes. Uh, no, it has. I think it has Alan Tudyk. I don't know who else is in it, but it's like the story of the guys that steal the 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 Death Star plans oh. and deliver. Yeah. So oh. it might be cool. It should be cool. I hope it's cool. Uh, that'll, but yeah, that'll be interesting one way or the other. Yeah, it'll make a lot of money. And then, uh, yeah, I I wish I remember what I wanted to plug, but it's I just it happens. I've oh oh I know what I want to plug. Kind of. I I recently watched. Uh, it's called Wild Tales. It's a movie from Argentina. and So in Spanish, it's called Relatos Salvajes. Where is the heart? <laughs> <laughs> Where are the tales? <laughs> no. Um, it's so good. It's uh, I mentioned it on my 
think I tweeted it or put it on Letterboxd. Uh, I mentioned that it's it's what Tarantino was trying to do with Hateful Eight, which was like <laughs> make a movie about despicable people. Only this one is actually entertaining and it's you know right at Shots two hours. <laughs> it's now people leaving us in droves. Yes, uh, we call that the Mattis principle. When it goes they, over two hours, then you, you're treading on very thin ice. Yeah, no, it's it's really good. It's a collection of short stories. It's really funny. I'll actually let you borrow it because it's really good. I and mean, if you can find it you should definitely watch it and just suck it up that you have to read subtitles because it's in spanish but it's it's really good um i want to not plug imdb because i was on their website the other day and they listed dawn of justice as their number one most anticipated movie of 2016 and well i guess you have to not plug the rest of the world oh fuck off (laughs) yeah that that was probably the most egregious thing i had read in film this week um I don't know. I'm so far behind on podcasts since I haven't had like a, an actual phone of my own. So it's just like... Oh, that sucks. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, as always, we want to plug our friends from the Festive Years. Yes. For providing uh, the music for our intro and outro. They're great. You can find them on uh, Bandcamp or iTunes. Or you can just drop us a line and we'll forward it to Chris. Don't Let Me Use You is the name of the album. Yes. And uh, yeah, you should just... Support them if you like their music. We certainly do. Mm-hmm. Uh, Slam Masters Podcast by John Golson. It's at Gutters and Panels. Uh, I feel bad for not saying hi to him at the last Inspire Pro Show. I gave him the nod, though, so he knows the thought. Sometimes a nod is enough. Yeah. And then sometimes like the nod leads to confusion. Mm-hmm. I've uh, Somebody yelled at me at the theater the other day because they thought I... Like I was ignoring them, and I was like, "I gave you the nod," and obviously, sometimes the nod just gets lost. In the, it gets lost it, in the shuffle. Yeah, when it's hectic, you know, don't trust the nod. Just go and go shake some hands. And lastly, I'm going to plug my co-host Julio for getting me a Peruvian bootleg of the Fantastic Mr. Fox on Blu-ray for Christmas. That's the only way that you can get Alex Mattis to watch some Wes Anderson. <laughs> yeah, that or just. No, that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, but that is going to wrap it up for this episode of The Contrarians. Next time will be another 48 hours, which that is going to be weird doing those in reverse order, but probably more satisfying. Yeah, we'll end on a high note. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening to us on The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. That's summer of 1999. Back when you blew my mind, Thank you for listening to The Contrarians. On your way out, be sure to swing over to youtube.com backslash ovniofilms. That's O-V-N-I-O films. And check out The New Adventures of Baby Jesus, a web series created and written by The Contrarians' very own Julio Oliveira. <laughs>